We're open at Isaiah chapter 1. I think if you study the history of the children of Judah and Israel, you'll find that when you come to the first five chapters of Isaiah, that they never were in a more dreadful, confused, and unhappy state as they are in these first five chapters. If you look at Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 4, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They have gone away backward, why should ye be stricken any more? You will revolt more and more, the whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. Tremendous, awful description by the Holy Ghost. Chapter 3, look at chapter 3 in verses 8 and 9. Chapter 3 of Isaiah, verse 8. For Jerusalem is ruined, and Judah is fallen, because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. The show of their countenance does witness against them and they declare their sins as Sodom. They hide it not. And that speaks to us about today, doesn't it? Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Say you to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee, cause thee to err, and to destroy the way of thy pass. The Lord standeth up to plead, and standeth to judge the nation. Chapter 5 and verse 3, here is referring to the vineyard. And the vineyard is a type of the church. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 4. What could I have done more to my vineyard than I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down, and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I also will command the clouds, the rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold oppression, for righteousness, but behold a cry. And then in verse 8, you have the first of five, or maybe six woes, down to the end of of, of chapter 5 to the last verse. And it says this, And in that day they shall roar against them like the roaring of the sea. 
And if one look unto the land, behold darkness and sorrow, and the light is darkened in the heavens thereof. And then we come into chapter 6. And I want you to keep your Bible open at chapter 6 and verse 1 and 2, for that's as far as we may go tonight. I may not be able every uh, Wednesday night to complete the scriptures that God has given me, but we'll carry it over to the next night. We're going to see Isaiah in a very, very dark valley. Now, whether we'll get him up out of it tonight or not, we don't know because we want to leave time for prayer, but we'll come back to him again. And I want you to feed on the Word, and I want you to learn from the Word. Because we need to be taught these truths in these days. Chapter 6 and verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now this is the backdrop what we have read has been the backdrop to the prophet's vision and call here in chapter 6. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit, calls your attention to, first of all, to a time and a date. You just watch the verse. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that he saw this mighty vision of the Lord that transformed him and changed him give him a new outlook on his ministry. And we can, if we can enter into this in our valleys in the, this night and maybe next night, then we too will get a new vision and a fresh vision from the Lord. For we need a fresh vision and we need a, a real vision. We need to see something new and we need it to start within ourselves. It's essential and absolutely essential that before we come to this sixth chapter that we have the circumstances that we read in the other verses and also that King Uzziah had died. Now some people say here that it was uh, uh, that he had just died. It says in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, well, it doesn't mean that he had just died. It was in the year that he died. Roy and the McFarland family can say it was in the year that Queen Elizabeth died, that our mother died, but it wasn't the same day or date. So there's a year somewhere around here. I don't think it was very long after when he saw this. But we know the year was 745 B.C. And if you want to study King Uzziah, this king that has died here before anything could happen. You see, sometimes things have to be, and people have to be taken out of the road till we get the vision and we see what God's doing. So sometimes there's hindrances and blockages. It means death sometimes. But anyway, we know that uh, he reigned this king for 52 years. And if you want the details about him, these meetings are recorded. You get Second Chronicles 26 and Second Kings 15. 
and you'll discover a lot of stuff about this King Uzziah that just comes onto the scene here in the fact that he has died. He came to the throne at 16. He died at 68. It says that he sought the Lord in visions. You see, there was no word in those days. God spoke through visions. He still speaks through visions today, but he speaks first and foremost through his word. When I hear people talking about they had a vision from the Lord and they never open the Bible and they never pray and they never read the Bible, then I'm often dubious of that. He became a household name, King Uzziah. And apart from Solomon, there was no man accomplished more for the nation and for the people. Every enemy that came against them in his reign, he defeated. He was a mighty army, had a mighty army well trained. He was a gifted soldier, a horticulturist, an agriculturist. He built towers and vineyards in the desert. He digged many wells. He had much cattle and land. And his name spread far abroad to the borders of Egypt and even into Egypt beyond it. So this was an icon. This man was very well known. But then it says this about him. He was marvelously helped until he was strong. When he was victorious and mighty, something happened. And what, what happened was this. When he became so powerful, he transgressed against the Lord. He became intoxicated with his own power. You see, not only in the world do men get intoxicated with their own power, Alexander the Great, Hitler, Mussolini, but in God's kingdom and in God's church, people have got intoxicated with their own power and pride. And God, God has had to take them out and he has had to take them down. This man marched into the temple. Being king, he thought he could do what he liked. He marched into the temple, and not only into the temple, into the very holy place, where only the high priest was allowed to go once a year. Anybody else entered in, it was death. And he went into the, high, into the holy place, and he began to tinker with the sacrifices, with the holy things. It says he began to offer up sacrifices on the altar, which was strictly for the sons of Aaron, the priesthood. Azariah, who was the high priest at the time, followed him in, accompanied by 80 valiant men. And they remonstrated with him. This is the great king now. And they remonstrated with him, and they told him to flee from the holy place. And he resisted them. And suddenly God struck him with leprosy on the forehead. A white blot appeared on his head. They remonstrated with him. They resisted him. They told him to flee. That he had no right to be in. He himself made haste to go out. Whenever the leprosy struck him. And he died in a leper colony. I think five years after that he lived. Now... I'm setting the backdrop here to this valley of Isaiah. 
You see, Isaiah was a young prophet. I think that he was about maybe 18 or 19. He was one of the young prophets called of God. And this man was a role model to him. They all looked up to him. And now suddenly, God strikes him because of this awful sin that he did, and it was. God struck him and made him a laughingstock, made them a laughingstock to the Babylonians, to the Egyptians, and all the enemies that he fought with. And whenever this happened, Isaiah went down into a deep, dark valley. And he's looking for answers. Just as you and I tonight look for answers at times when things happen that we don't understand. He couldn't get his head around the fact that this king strayed the way that he did and and God struck him with leprosy. You see, if ever a man was wrestling over a nation and a people, it was Isaiah. His early years, them five chapters, was all woe to the people, trying to get them back, preaching to them, praying over them, weeping over them, to try and get them back into line with God. And the nation was in a terrible state. And then just to, to top it all, God struck the king. The king had done so much for them. That made them made them so materialistic and blessed them mighty with wells and 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 all sorts of crops and everything else. He was a genius. But whether you're a genius or not, no matter who we think we are, no matter how high or great we think we may be, God can snuff us out like that. The mighty monarch died. Now, monarchy reflects the state of a nation. But it also reflects the state of a church, the church in the nation. In fact, the church is to blame for the state of the nation. Because the church is supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And there was an old saying used to go amongst the Puritans and others, as the church goes, so goes the world. Isaiah lived in such an awful time as we are after describing to you a time like we are living in today. One thing after another. And he goes down into the valley of hopelessness. You you can't study this and meditate upon this any other way. this, This man had didn't know where to turn. This young prophet didn't know where to turn. And you know, there are times we look out and we see God moving in ways that we don't understand. And there's times we don't know where to turn. And so many people, you know, Christians, even though they're going for years, when they get into the valley and into the tight corner of the flea and way back to the world, or else they go nowhere. But he didn't do that. While he couldn't get his head around the fact that this great king died and or this great king was incarcerated in such a place as he was for years and then he died and it all came on top of him. 
But there's one thing about him, about Isaiah. He went into the house of God. Because we read in chapter 6 and verse 1, in the year, now I can't emphasize this enough, God wants us to get our attention on the year that this man died. I wonder, was, was Josiah blocking blessing? I wonder, had he such an influence on the young Isaiah that he couldn't really get through to God? I wonder, is there any, any body or thing blocking blessing in your life? Maybe there'll have to be a death, maybe not a physically death, but a death. Maybe something will have to die in order that you can get your eyes, as he did, as he did unto the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also, and I'm very inquisitive when I get words that I don't know what they mean, but I saw also, I wonder, I was wondering would he had a conversation with Uzziah in his leprosy in, in, or somewhere near the leprosy column. I wonder, did he hear from Isaiah that maybe he saw the Lord because it says he also, Isaiah also. And when it says also, there must be something in God's mind. Maybe he did see the Lord as, we, as Isaiah is going to see him here. And we're going to show you tonight. I don't know. But he said, I saw the Lord also sitting upon a throne. Suddenly, suddenly, and some think he was at the door of the temple. Now, this is a great temple now. This is the very place this boy Uzziah went into, the holy place. Some think he's about the door of the temple, and we'll see why they think that maybe. Maybe he was coming in, maybe he was going out. But he saw a throne. He had a vision of a throne, and it says the throne was high and lifted up. Now it would be enough to say a throne, because we know a throne is high. But the Holy Spirit puts in here, they saw a throne, it was high and lifted up. There seems to be a play in words there. It wants us to get our attention to the fact that this throne was high and lifted up above every other throne. All the monarchs' thrones, all the thrones that ever was and all the thrones that ever will be, he sitteth upon the throne tonight. And what he's saying to Isaiah here, get your eyes off Uzziah. Get your eyes off his throne. He's a dead king and a dead throne. I'm a living king. I'm living on the throne. And he's still on the throne tonight. And he always will be on the throne. The only time he vacated it was for 33 and a half years to come down to this old world to die. Because we know he went back up onto the throne again. And he's on the throne at the right hand of the Father. 
Verse 2. Above it stood the seraphims. Now, the King James Version says above it, but the Hebrew rendering says around it. And of course I'm inclined to believe the Hebrew and other translations when they say around it. And the reason I do, it would have left them above the throne. And that's not the case. Even the seraphims, the, the hosts, the angels, even those in all their beauty, sinless creatures, are not above him. H.G. Govan penned that hymn. Don't know whether it's in our hymn books or not. High above all is the Savior enthroned. Crowned as the Lamb who for sinners atone. Living for those who list to the call. God has exalted him. High above all. Hallelujah. He's on the throne tonight. Charles is on the throne. It was only a makeshift. He's on the throne tonight. That's the position of the throne. Now secondly... There's a person on the throne. Now watch the verse again. In the year that King Uday died, I saw also the Lord. Well, he didn't see Jehovah, Adonai, God. We know that. Because no man has seen God at any time. He's a spiritual being. He doesn't appear to sight and senses. Moses had to veil his face when he came into his presence. They had to put a ring round Sinai so that no one could near or be struck dead. But I'm very glad here that John the Apostle doesn't leave us in the dark. Boy, if that's all that it said about it and we were left in the dark, there'd have been some debating. However could a man see God when the scripture says you can't see him and live? Well, John the Apostle, who lay on his bosom, the Lord Jesus' bosom, who was the closest probably to him, clarified and classified this. You needn't turn to it, but you'll get it if you want to listen to this again. In John 12 and 41, here's what he says regarding this incident 800 years before. Here's what he says. These things saith Isaiah... When he saw his glory and spake of him, he's speaking about the Son of Man. He's speaking about what we call a theophany or a Christophany, Christ in the Old Testament. And these messages I'm going to bring you, all of them will will have to do with theophanies and Christophanies where the Lord Jesus Christ himself now I'm saying seven, sixty, eight hundred years before he was born. He always was, he ever was, and ever will be. He's the Son of God, eternal in the heavens. Where he visited a number many people in the Old Testament when they were in valleys. And we're going to lift out those valley experiences. There's a whole rake of them through the scriptures. He always come. And he always will come. Let me encourage you this evening. He always came and he always will come. 
when we're beat. Oh, believer, you believe that tonight. He'll always come when we're in wit's end corner. He will. He has promised he will. And in the Old Testament, when Abraham and Joshua and Gideon and Hagar and others were just at wit's end, he appeared. Lifted them up out of the valley. Oh, I trust he lifted you up out of the valley. So we see the position of the throne and the person of the throne. Now watch it again. We see the posture on the throne. I saw also the Lord sitting. Just hold on. Sitting. He's in complete and utter control. He is in complete and utter sovereign control over all the nations and kings and governments and authorities. He's not scampering to heaven, wondering what he's going to do. He's not worried about Putin or Biden or Aragon and Turkey. He's not biting his nails over Iran or the wickedness and the sin. He's not. He's sitting. He's sitting. He'll deal with these men. He'll deal with them. He'll deal with Isaiah. There'll come a day when he'll just do that and snuff them out. And when we get too big for our boots, he could do it with us. And do it with preachers, not taking the life away, but taking the ministry away. It has happened. The writer to the Hebrews says, They shall perish, but thou remainest. He's in complete peace and in complete composure. And let me tell you this evening, he expects us to be the same. And if you're running about half mad as a believer now, there's something wrong. He says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. Sure, the world can't give us peace. Not as the world gives peace, perfect peace in this world of sin. Bickerstaff wrote, the blood of Jesus whispers peace within So watch it again. There's the time, there's the throne, and there's the train. A throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. That was the, the robe, his robe and garments. So what they're saying is saying here is he has come down. He has come down. This is authority. This is power. His robes covered the whole temple and cover the whole world too, if you want me to apply it in in that way. But let's go on. Above it stood the seraphims. 
or as I have said, around them stood the seraphims and took and with six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. There's a proclamation going on around this throne. You know, the seraphims are the most beautiful creatures of God's creation. They're, they're called the fiery ones, the Flames of fire. They're ministers for God. He said he'd make his ministers flames of fire. These creatures are, they're around the throne, but they're standing. Now, you must get these words. They're standing around the throne. Now, why are they standing at the throne or around the throne? They're waiting for a word from him to go on his bid. They're not flying here. And I have heard people talking about their flying. They're not flying here. They've stood still waiting would to God that we would learn from this. I would to God that when we come into his presence that he would stay still till we get a word. No, I'm, I'm battling at this minute for a word for Sunday morning. And I am battling. But I refuse to go to an old message. Because we need something fresh. And whether it takes me to Saturday or not, I don't know. But I'm prepared to wait. Are you? Are you? They stood. Now, they had six wings. With two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two wings they did fly. Now, there's a proclamation here. They're crying out, not to him. See what the verse says? He covered his face with two, he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried unto another. Not, to, not saying to him now. He, God doesn't, the Lord doesn't have to be told that he's holy. We don't educate the Lord. They're saying one to another. Now some people say there's only three because they say holy, 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 Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There could have been 3,000 or 30,000. But I tell you, my friend, they're there as he sees them there. And they're still there. They're there and, and, and he, they're proclaiming all looking to him on the throne. Holy, holy, holy. 
They keep emphasizing the holiness of the Lord. Do you remember John in the Revelation when he saw him, the risen Christ in Revelation chapter 1? He says, John who lay on his bosom, John who knew him better than anybody else, John the apostle of love, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. These very seraphims had to cover their face. And they had to cover their feet. And I'll tell you why in a minute. They couldn't look. The the very sinless seraphims couldn't look into the eyes of the risen Christ, of the living Christ. Friend, I tell you, when we come into the house of God on Sunday mornings, We need to come in with a wee bit more reverence. Talking about holidays and jars and farms. We need to come into the presence of God. He's a holy, holy, holy. These seraphims are proclaimed. Holy, holy, holy. All right, if, if the three holies here, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, sure. They're reminding themselves, themselves, one another, of the holiness of the Lord. Be ye holy. He says, for I am holy, not as I am holy. No, no. Be holy, for I am holy. Is your life and my life a holy life? Remember, the gaze of the Lord is on us. I can't help thinking, because it says here, watch, and verse 4, and the posts of the door, that's the door foundations of the door, shook. I wonder was, I wonder was the Lord, as the Lord sent the messages here, be careful how you come through the door and out through the door. Some thinks that he was about the door when this mighty vision appeared to him. And then there was this mighty noise and the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. As they cried the holiness of God and the holiness of God, nothing could stand it, my friend. That great temple shook and the foundations of it shook. Oh, God, help us and save us from our irreverence as we come into the presence of God. Shook. Of course, it's not the first time that God shook. He says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. That has to happen yet. There's going to be a shaking. 
And Paul and Silas sang hymns and praises in the dungeon at Philippi. The power of God struck and the prison shook. I can shake buildings. When they prayed in Acts chapter 4 and they were crying unto God after getting out of prison, the apostles, the house where they were praying, shook. And I tell you, when the presence of God comes down, he'll shake. And friend, we need a shaking. I tell you, you'd have no bother getting sinners saved if they saw something like this. You'd have no bother getting Christians to live a holy life if the very presence of God was felt. Isaiah, Isaiah sees him in all his glory and all his power. Now, what he saw, I don't know. But I'll tell you, he felt him. He felt him. And this encounter that Isaiah had and this sight of a holy God and these seraphims with her that couldn't even look on them. Shook them to the core. And it's as if God saying to Isaiah, Isaiah, listen, you've been worn in the past for five chapters. Maybe Isaiah, maybe Isaiah got a wee big bid for his boots too. And God's saying to Isaiah, you get your eyes off the nation, you get your eyes off their sin, you get their eyes off everything, and stop lamenting, and get your eyes onto me. I am the eternal God. I'll deal with this whole situation. And this man's beginning, he's beginning to come up out of the valley. Because we're going to see, and we're not going to deal with it tonight, we're going to see next week that he gets a new vision and a new ministry all at once. We're going to see, and I'm not going to start it tonight for one time. We're going to see that something miraculous happened. That God, the Lord, came down to man. I just want you to look at it and you can think about it yourself. Verse 4, and the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. That's Another word for cloud. It was a cloud. Of course, there's many clouds in the scripture. When they were coming out of Egypt, there was a cloud. Pillar by fire and day by night. There was a cloud just covered. I tell you, my friend, listen, if we saw something like this, we wouldn't be going home to watch the news. We had an encounter like this in our quiet times with God. Real vision. We watch what it says. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. 
Then said I, Woe is me. I'm unloosed, I'm undone, I'm useless, I'm worthless. I'm ashamed. We'll deal with that next week. But notice this in verse 5. Then said I, now what's the next then in verse 6? Then flew one of the seraphims with a live coal, with tongs. Even he couldn't hold it without tongs. Isn't it it amazing to think that a heavenly being, a seraphim, would lift an old pair of tongs? Huh? With a live burning coal and touched his lips, not until the woe. There'll be no no vision. There'll be no cleansing. There'll be no revival. Until there's a woe. An individual woe is me. There was five or six woes to others, but now the woe. This is the problem. Me. Problem's me. Problem could be me. Then, through just one of the seraphim, it's as if the Lord said, Right, go down. This man has repented. I I don't know what went on with this man. I'm wondering when they they covered the feet, and we'll maybe deal with that. When they they covered the feet, were they talking? Well, the feet talks about activity. It talks about work and travel and going. I wonder... What's God saying to Isaiah? You just have been too busy. Just stand still. You see, it seems that he was very, very worn out with all this whole thing. And I, I'm going to deal a wee bit with I, what I think that the seraphims cover their feet. You know, there's a whole lot of us in it's all activity. It's all activity. Meetings and missions and all the rest. He's teaching us a lesson. But the greatest lesson of all he's been taught here it was about his tongue. You come back next week. And let me just give you something to think about. Watch the verse, verse 5. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. Now, well, he wasn't swearing or blaspheming. There must have been something there. Now watch this, Lips. And I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
Then flew one of the servants unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth. Are you seeing that? Lips, tongue, mouth. That's, that's all the business here. And lo, this has touched thy lips. Count them up now. And thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin pours. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? He's up. He's coming up out. But there had to be repentance. There had to be brokenness. And I'm calling this message and next week's message the valley of brokenness. Valley of brokenness. Tongue, lips, mouth. It's all that's been dealt with. What about our tongue, our lips, our mouth? What is God saying to us? We need to cover them. Need to be careful what we say. I don't know, and I'll not get to, to know till I get to the glory what really went on with Isaiah, and I mightn't know there, so I wouldn't want to know. There's something, something, something God had to deal with. Before he gave him the new vision, fresh vision, sent him out with a mighty call. And he had to have it or he would never have stuck the 66 chapters. Let us pray. Father, all we have simply done tonight is opened up a verse or two in this prophetic chapter and while we don't have and won't have maybe a physical vision like this but we do hear the Lord speaking into our souls. Father, we pray that you'll bring us up out of this valley and we'll only get out, Lord, when we're broken and contrite before God. We come to thee, Father, tonight and we renew we renew, Lord, our vows to thee and say, Lord, Forgive us and cleanse us and help us. Forgive us, Lord, for dealing so petty with the majesty of our God. Oh, God, help us. 
We might well cover our face. We might well cover our feet. We might well lie down at thy feet and say, Lord, woe is me, for I am undone. Now, Lord, we pray that you will bless us as we wait on for a time of prayer. Bless those who have to go. And may the word of God dwell richly in the hearts and lives. And may the hunger for the word of God come to many. And may they be drawn to the word of the living God. We ask these things in return in your thanks. In the Saviour's name. Amen.